All right, you are now tuned in to the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 184. Jamal Murray goes down with a torn ACL. What does that mean for Denver? Steph becomes the all-time leading scorer in Warriors history. An in-depth look at where the Euro step came from. And of course, Clippers and Lakers talk. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew, give me that intro music. What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is? You know where you're at. It is the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, brought to you by basketballnews.com. We are via Zoom today because Drew has yet another vacation to go on. He's living that good life, heading up. Where are you going? Tahoe? Something? Yeah, man. Lake Tahoe. Going up to Lake Tahoe, where it, it, it was currently snowing uh, oh. <laughs> as of as of last night. So we might be having a little uh, fun in the, in the snow, unexpectedly, in April. That'll be fun. Hey, episode 184. Um, a lot has happened this week, but probably the biggest story of this week is Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets. And, you know, our prayers go out to Jamal. It was a tough injury, you know, tore his ACL in his left leg. Um, I've personally suffered that injury. I know how bad it is. Um, I think the sad part about this was Denver was on a tear. Um, they had 188 in a row. You know, it's obviously a season ending injury for, Denver but after thinking about this Drew like I don't think they're it's like the season's done for them right like there's a reason that pickup of Aaron Gordon's going to be a good one you still have the potential MVP with Joker who's playing so well MPJ who's been you know in the bubble last year said I need more shots I want more shots this is your opportunity to get those shots um but do do you think the season's over for Denver I think the season is over as far as like winning a championship uh, there's uh, there's no way that they're going to win a championship without Jamal Murray. Now, I think they can still be a very difficult out in the playoffs. Um, and I do think, you know, Jokic, sometimes he just, he, he doesn't score sometimes. Like, you know, obviously he's been doing amazing. He's had unbelievable statistical nights over the past, you know, entire season. He hasn't missed a game this whole season, which is unbelievable. But I do think he can step up his level of scoring to provide along with MPJ and, you know, Aaron Gordon's going to have to step up his scoring. Like everyone across the board for them is going to have to step up. Um, and I think probably Compazzo, our boy, Compazzo's probably <laughs> got that he's going to probably get into the starting lineup, I think. Um, and then also look for Will Barton. I mean, the guy that Will Barton, he can, he can get really hot. And, and when the, in those games where he's hitting, it's, it's a game changer for them. So now he's going to have to be really reliant, relied upon, to be closer to that 20 point a night uh, score for them. He doesn't have to break 20, but he needs to take and make good shots. Um, but, you know, it's one thing to lose Jamal Murray. It's another thing had they lost Jokic, right? So they still have their MVP. And to me, quite honestly, if Jokic is able to keep them stable for the remainder of the season, and, and if he goes unscathed without an injury, uh, I do think he's probably deserving of MVP simply because every other candidate has had multiple games out. I mean, Embiid has missed 18 games. We know LeBron has been out for, you know, a pretty extended period of time. Uh, Giannis, Harden, KD, like all, you know, the names of the people that we have 
thrown out there for MVP have all had at least, I think, seven to 10 games missed. Uh, so I do think this could be a, a pretty sad way for <laughs> Jokic to win MVP, but um, I suppose there's a little bit of a silver lining there. But I, as far as their season being done, I, I do think it's done as far as championship concerns. Uh, but I, I expect them to be tough in the playoffs. And, you know, well, first of all, our boy Faku got torched by Steph. <laughs> I felt so bad for him. Yeah, uh, Steph was on a mission that night. He definitely was, and he was just yelling, this guy can't guard me. But we love Compazzo. Um, I'm kind of with you on that, too. Like, I still wouldn't want to see Denver in the first round, um, but I kind of want to see how they come back from this, from the Jamal Murray. Like, how are they going to adjust with, you know, giving MPJ more shots? And you said it. I mean, Will Barton can put up numbers. It's kind of when you get to that six, seven, eight spot, within their bench is, is when it gets kind of tough. You know, after Jamal went down, a lot of NBA players are obviously anytime there's an injury, you know, some players went to Twitter saying, see, this is why, you know, the fast start shouldn't happen. Um, the, the, these back to backs, these quick games, you know, playing a game every other night. Um, but watching the, watching the Clippers Pacers game last night, I got to see Karis Levert finally for like a full game and Karis looked great, man, just looked really great. And, and the czar, Mike Fratello, said something that kind of stuck with me. And, I, you know, I did some research today, but he said, like, because Karis is very shifty, like very Euro steppy, does a lot of this stuff. And we're seeing this with a lot of the NBA players. And he brought to the attention of, like, do you think this is because of this way of playing now, the shiftiness, the that full length? Uh, Euro step that we're seeing every player do. And I, me and you are from the old school. I've never had a Euro step because again, I've tore both my ACLs and I can't pull it off. You know what I mean? Right. And when I played, that was a travel. It was a travel. So, you know, it's weird because I, I, I tried to deep dive into it because I thought Fratello brought a great question. Right. So I tried to do like the history of the Euro step. Right. Man. Yeah. And so, and then how did that correlate to like injuries and ACL injuries in today's game? So, the first media confirmed usage of the Euro step wasn't until 2007, but the, but the move had been around for decades in Europe. Okay. Especially in Yugoslavia. Now the first person to bring it quote unquote to the NBA was my boy, Srunas Marshallonis, the Lithuanian legend in 89, right? He was wow. the first one, right? And he brought that from, from Lithuania. And then it was obviously made more popular by, Manu like Manu was the guy that people were kind of watching like oh okay hmm and he brought this in in 07 and what's weird is they made it like legal in 2009 so I was trying to look up like how many ACL injuries there were from like 09 to, to today and I couldn't get it but I did get like from 2012 to 2017 19 players tore their ACL and then we've seen this every like we saw Dinwiddie we saw you know we seen Jamal Murray we saw a few other people that just keep tearing their ACL um what do you think about that take though I mean it's a different way to play basketball and it's different on on your legs and your and your your limbs yeah I think it's a very interesting point Going from a full sprint, which is a lot of times what's happening, you're at a full sprint to slowing your entire body down with literally one step, that can't be good for your knees. So, I mean, I don't know necessarily that there is a correlation to that, specifically with Jamal Murray, um, because during the course of that game, I don't know how many times, I, it was like five or six different times that he was on the ground or he was reaching for one of his knees. Um, and he's been dealing with right knee soreness for the previous games, I, I believe he was out 
the, the two previous games before he came back against Golden State with the other knee hurting. So I do think certainly that move in particular has to be very difficult for you to train for. I mean, because there's not really a way to necessarily strengthen, you know, your ligaments. I know you can strengthen the muscles around them, but your ligaments are kind of just what they are. Um, so coupled with the Euro step and the fact that Jamal has been having, you know, nagging injuries, it seems like he's been injured somewhat for the last three seasons and just kind of playing through it. That seems to be kind of his mentality. He's a tough kid. This injury in this game to me seemed to be kind of a culmination of maybe overcompensating for what was happening with his right knee. And then also just kind of a freak injury, really. I mean, it's just one of those things where sometimes that ligament is just ready to go and you don't know necessarily that it's going to happen. Um, the other thing, I mean, I, I don't, I don't necessarily like saying this, but situational awareness, I think is, is pretty important. Like Golden State had that game relatively locked up. And then as it was progressing, Denver started to chip away and chip away. And it was like, okay, I know Mike Malone probably in his head was like, if, if, if Golden State goes up by three more points, I'm probably just going to pull everybody. And I'm sure that's something that he's going to regret. But that being said, I don't think you can blame Malone for leaving him out there in a game that was possibly winnable, especially against a Western Conference opponent in, in the form that the Nuggets have been in where they're just winning games and they're on this tear. Um, so I don't blame Malone for trying to make that happen. But I do think it's one of those things where, you know, if it didn't happen in this game, it, it could have very easily happened in the following game or, or later down the road. Um, it will be interesting to see, though, like, especially for the kids coming into the NBA in the next couple of years that have been doing the Euro step since they were like 10, whether or not that plays a part in the significance and the prevalence of, of ACL tears. That's something I definitely that's a very interesting point and something we should all kind of try and pay attention to. I know it's difficult because you can't necessarily say, I mean, I don't know how many, how many times that an ACL tear has happened while doing a Euro step, right. but it can't help that problem. So anyway, I, I, I think that might be a pretty good call from, from Fratello. You know, it's crazy when I was, when I was diving on it, like when Giannis does his Giannis has a seven, three wingspan. It's the one move. This is why like referees, it took them a while to make sure that it was a legal move. It basically took them like two years to figure it out, but Giannis can cover 15 feet with one dribble, right? Which is so insane and puts so much pressure on the defense, right? But back to what you were saying earlier, like Jamal had fallen five or six times. And that's another thing that I've said on this show and you have as well. Like, yo, and Car I was watching Karis do this in last night's game. Is like, they're so focused on getting the foul that they're making these crazy ass moves, landing extremely awkwardly, even going back to Steph, and, and him falling on his ass, you know, hitting the stair the other day that took him out for three games. Like that's all attributed to trying to get a foul. And um, I think that has a lot to do with it. And again, I'm not an NBA player. I'll tell you this when I tore mine though, like I was playing in a rec game two weeks before I tore it. And I, 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 I came down weird and it felt weird. And I knew something was different about my knee, but you're hoopers and all you want to do is play through it. And then what happens is two weeks later, I catch an outlet pass. That was it. Caught an outlet pass, cut right. And the shit was done. So like you're saying, you can, and again, I wasn't some professional athlete or anything, but I, but I play basketball every single day. And I think in today's game, you need that move. 
You know what I mean? How great it's worked for Giannis and D Wade and obviously James Harden, right? Everybody, everybody in the league is using that move. Yeah, you see it 20 times a night. There's probably an analytic about how many Euro steps are going in <laughs> each and every game. But I, I do feel that um, back to Denver that, yeah, I don't think they can win a championship, but you know, how healthy are the rest of these guys going to be? How healthy are the Lakers going to be? How healthy are the Clippers going to be? And if you, um, you know, we're seeing load management with the Clippers a lot, like Kawhi and Paul George aren't playing tonight. Kawhi didn't play last night, knee soreness and whatnot. So if I'm Nick nurse, uh, sorry, uh, Denver coach, Mike, Malone. Mike, Malone. Mike Malone, you know, and, and, Jamal has been stressing that, yeah, my knee's kind of bugging me, then maybe you need to take the time off, but maybe you're just prolonging something that was going to happen anyways, right? Yeah, that's the difficult thing to call, right? And especially because it wasn't the knee that was bothering him is, you know, that that whole thing, I, it's just kind of a crapshoot. And, you know, I feel bad for Jamal. I mean, it happened literally in what was like the last minute of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the shit that just really sucks. But like I said, who knows if that would have happened, you know, the following game or three games down the road it just kind of I think it is one of those things that is just a matter of time unfortunately Uh, the good news for Jamal is that ACL surgeries have been uh, streamlined uh, over the last decade Uh, so as far as like recovery you know he's probably not going to make it back for the very beginning of next year but uh, you know outlook for the rest of his career is very optimistic I mean so many players have had ACLs uh, and come back, you know, just as strong. So if not stronger, so while it, it, it definitely sucks um, to have Denver have to go through this in a period where everything was going their way, all the momentum was on their side, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't ruin Jamal's career and it certainly doesn't damper, uh, you know, next season for them. So we were talking about Steph, Steph broke a record this week. He took over golden States all-time leading score taking on, you know, Wilt the stilt, uh, huge, huge uh, for for Steph, and he did it in true Steph fashion, right? I think he put up was it was that the fifty point game that he got it in? Yeah, he got fifty three points in that game against Denver. Yeah, again that that game, and he broke the record in the first quarter, which I think he had on his mind. He's like, let's just get this out of the way. It was nineteen points. He was down. He's like, right. I'm just gonna go for twenty one in the first quarter, and uh, and he did it. And you know, amazing feat for Steph. It, it also amazing that Wilt is their all-time leading scorer and that that record stood for so long. I know he played there for a long time back when they were the Philadelphia Warriors mm-hmm. before they were, you know, the San Francisco Warriors and, and then Oakland and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, the legend of Wilt, any time a player passes that guy in any statistic, that has to be kind of overwhelming. And he probably he would wilt if he was still alive. God rest his soul. He'd probably be upset about it. He'd be so <laughs> upset about it. Like, no, nah, this kid's not going to beat me out. Like, nah. He'd say that. No, nah, if I if there were three points when I played, like I would be jacking three pointers as well. <laughs> um, so it kind of brought up. I was listening to Kendrick Perkins, and and Perk was on. I don't know what show, but Perk was saying that yo, when it's all said and done, Steph Curry's going to be top ten player of all time in the NBA. And you know, I I'm just I don't I don't know. And so I went through like my top 10 and who I thought was top 10. And I think, you know, give or take where we both have these people in order. Um, I think it's really hard. And I'm like, who, when it's all said and done, will we take out of this top 10, right? Right. Now, hands down, Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. Hands down, right? Uh, we can all agree on that. I'm not sure there will, there might be somebody that beats him out at some point, but I don't think so. Like, I, I just really don't think so. Um, so I'm going through top 10 players, right? 
And so in any given order, all right, Mike, LeBron, Kobe, Kareem, Bill, Wilt, Shaq, Magic, Bird, Duncan was 10, right? And then I got like Durant and Akeem at 11 and 12, right around there. Now, Durant and Akeem could both be in somebody else's top 10 and whatnot. But I just don't know because, A, I don't think that – I think – and, you know, this is going to hurt our friend Jeff Crompton and, and Golden State fans listening. I don't think they're going to win another title. They got a lot of money, you know, locked up with Steph and, uh, and, and Draymond and Clay and, you know, Wiggins has 40 million on the books coming up here soon. Um, I don't know necessarily if they made the right choice with Wiseman now that he's hurt and kind of didn't have, you know, the best start, like this trade value is a little down. Anyways, that's few and far between. But like whose spot is Steph going to take on this list? You know, like does he take Magic spot? Does he take Duncan spot? You know, does he take Larry's spot? Like I don't know. So I think that – I don't know if if Perkins was just trying to – you know, start a debate, but I mean, it can be debatable. Don't get me wrong. Like it can, like, does he take Durant's spot if you have Durant in the top 10? That list is just so crowded. Right. Um, I think it's kind of an honor for him to even be in consideration for the top 10. I think the, the, the best accolade for him is what you said, the greatest shooter that ever lived. And that's something that no one will be able to take away from him until somebody comes into the league and, and does what he does. I, I honestly don't know if we're ever going to see the type of level of skill that he has brought to the shooting aspect of the game. But in my mind, I just don't think, I don't think he can break into that top 10. Top 20 we could talk about. Definitely. I think he's in the top 20. Right. I think the things that have to happen for him is I think he has to win another, at least another ring. And I think he kind of has to do it while he's, he's scoring like he is now. Right. Like, so if, if Steph, you know, it, it's very easy to forget the guy's 32 years old. He's got this baby face and you don't think like he's probably only got maybe three or four years of prime Steph left. Mm-hmm. And that's probably pushing it. Right. I mean, you know, we're seeing how good Chris Paul is and LeBron James at their age. So anything's possible. I mean, shit, he could play until he's 40. Who knows? They're definitely different players, though. Right. And, and I think that's the that's the most interesting aspect about this. And I think the thing that undercuts Steph for that top 10 conversation is those first five years in the league where he really was just, you know, starting to get his footwork, like literally his footwork, right. He, he they had to retrain him how to run because he couldn't stay on the floor because he's rolling his ankle every other game. So I think because of that portion of his career, that probably keeps him out of the top 10 for a lot of people. Uh, and like you said, I'm totally fine. I mean, everyone's going to have their own version of the top 10 uh, greatest players of all time. And if, and, you know, if, if Steph's included in yours, great. I think there's several points to be made. In my mind, just talking about, like, him and Durant, for instance, I think Durant is, is a better basketball player. Um, and I don't – it's hard to say that um, as a reflection of their skill level. I don't think necessarily that Steph is any less skilled than Kevin Durant, but he also isn't – you know, Steph's not seven foot and doesn't have, you know, the, the God-given gifts – that KD has and that some of these other guys have that he's trying to, you know, for instance, go into that top 10. I, and I think, I also think that that's totally fine. Like he can be, he's definitely gonna be a hall of fame player. He's an all time player. Like he changed the game as far as this new level of shooting uh, and this new distance. And, you know, the, the idea of being able to shoot quickly off the dribble uh, and he's inspired a whole generation of young kids who are undersized who may not be the fastest or the strongest, 
to to still be out there and playing and, and saying like if I can work on my game and hone in I can still be a college player I can be an NBA player so I think for that his legacy will live on forever but top 10 is tough man I think there'd be a better case if if Kendrick said, if this was Kevin Durant, we were talking about, you know what I mean? If we were talking about Kevin Durant, then yeah, I think there's some, and people would get mad at me. I'm like, would you take Larry's spot? I mean, I think he's better than Larry Bird. And I know a lot of people would be pissed off, but you can make an argument for that. And this isn't, I don't think Steph is better than Larry Bird. No, I don't either. But I said, if if we're Kevin Durant, like we might be able to to have a conversation about that. So, um, the other question was that we asked on our, on our social media today was which player is more influential AI or Steph. Right. And we got a lot of different answers. Cause I honestly don't know the answer. And people were like, my boy, Kevin was like, well, is, are we talking about somebody from the suburbs or somebody from the hood? Are we talking about who, <laughs> you know, who influenced the culture more or who influenced the game more? And it was a really tough question for me. That's why I kind of asked what other people thought. Cause you know, the first thing I said is if there's no Allen Iverson, there's no, there, I mean, I don't know if there's a Steph Curry, I don't, you know, for the little guy. And then like, as far as culture goes, like, yeah, AI changed the whole game as far as culture, but Steph changed how people play, literally how people play basketball now. And you have to guard 40 feet from the hoop right now. And we're seeing right. the best players in the game, the, the Dame Lillards and the, and the, the Clay Thompson's and, the Kevin Durant's that can pull from 35, the Paul George's that can just do this. It's a normal thing. And it only became normal once Steph got there. There was a lot of players before Steph that could shoot a three pointer. You know what I mean? But not like Steph. What would you, what would you think about that? Yeah, I think, I think if you take it from a culture standpoint, I think that goes to Allen Iverson. I think if you take it from a simple, like the game play, it it has to be Steph Curry. Mm -hmm. I mean, what AI did on the court is phenomenal and generational talent level gameplay but his I think his um, contribution is in the culture uh, more so than you know I mean look his crossover Allen Iverson's crossover was permeated throughout basketball and and is still used today in some form or fashion uh, by almost every guard that exists so but there was I, I a wanna... crossover there was a crossover before Allen Iverson though like you had Hardaway Hardaway, Hardaway. then you have the evolution to uh, you know, Iverson's twist on it. And they, like, like Steph's dad, his step, Dell could shoot the three, you know, with the, the best with anybody, but then Steph takes it up a notch. And he's like, yo, I'm going to add 10 more feet to it. You know? Yeah. I think so. The, the answer for the gameplay for me is very clearly Steph, because I can't think of another player outside of Shaq that literally changed the way the game is played. And now when you watch an NBA game, you'll see, several times during the course of a game where guys are pulling up from 30, 32 feet all the time. I mean, Trey Young, I think, is a great example of Steph's influence on the game. Definitely. I mean, they had to change the game for Kareem, though. Like, there were no, 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 I'm just talking about chronologically. Okay, yeah. Yeah, since, since Shaq, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's changed the game more than Steph. Did you listen to, to Shaq on Rex Chapman via basketballnews.com? I haven't had a chance to listen to that. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate to listen to it, but I haven't had the time to do it. It was really good. Like Shaq, I guess Shaq and Rex have a great relationship, like really good relationship. And Shaq's just the coolest dude in the world. And you should listen to it. Cause they asked him the question, like, how, how are you playing in today's game? And Shaq, of course said, dude, I'm dominating. Like, are you kidding me? Like <laughs> dominating. And, and I believe that a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I guess I guess that question wasn't there. There should have been some more context to that question because they're both extremely influential and they're both extremely influential on the game. So, 
I don't know how to answer it either. I think we both kind of have the same view on that, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think it's fair to say that they both had a tremendous influence on the game of basketball. And um, I just think the gameplay edge goes to step for me. All right. So the hottest team in basketball, Drew. Do you want to take a? Do you want to take a best? Do you want to take a guess who the hottest team in basketball is? Right I now? happen to know who this is, you, especially what? based on your smile. Oh, just tell me. Tell me who the hottest team is right now. Yeah, it's the Clippers. They are on a the the number one winning streak in the NBA. Congratulations. Six game winning streak. And, and dude, let me just say, I got to say something. Again, I don't like to get super hyped up because I end up jinxing shit and we play Detroit tonight again and Paul and, and Kawhi and Pat Bev and Serge aren't playing. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen? We just played Detroit a couple nights ago. But look, man, you know, I was concerned in our last podcast. I said, you know, Rondo's first two games were a little suspect, kind of like getting his feet wet, wet with the squad and whatnot. And um, everybody been playing so well. And then Rondo in the in the Phoenix game was phenomenal. And I've watched him three games after that. And this guy's going to be huge for us, Drew. Absolutely huge for us. He's not getting a lot of like huge minutes, but what he's doing within those minutes are extremely valuable. 15 minutes a night and, you know, you're seeing seven assists, six rebounds, 12 points. You know what I mean? In true Rondo fashion. I'm still not huge on him taking these long ass three pointers. I like, it's like Pat Bev. I like him standing on the line three pointers. Right. But the the real talk is is, uh, Paul George. And he's been phenomenal all season. Um, I've been saying that if I think he should be in the MVP talks just for the numbers um, that he's been putting up, but it's more of the team effort, man. We are on pace to set NBA basketball historic records as far as offense goes. Our defense is a little suspect, but we are number one in offensive rating, 104 uh, per 100 possessions, and we are by far the best NBA three-point shooting team. We're taking 36 a game. We have eight players drew it's seven technically Terrence Mann hasn't had a hundred um, attempts yet but we have eight players on our roster shooting over 40 percent with Marcus Morris shooting 47.6 percent from the three-point line right. um, and he's in like the top three in the NBA I think he was number so, one for a minute yeah I know? think he's up there he's right there and just we're seeing with Paul George doing I mean his last four games 36, 32, 33, 36. I mean, he's putting up the, and again, you know, Kawhi sat out two of those games um, and this isn't taking anything from Kawhi because Kawhi has been playing great. My whole, my whole point of this is the collective team play that I'm seeing, especially with Batum. Batum had four blocks the other night and Morris is playing so well. Reggie, who didn't have a great game against the Pacers last night has been absolutely phenomenal for us. We lost Pat again. Again, he had surgery on his wrist. I don't know. I'm suspect on this right now, Drew. I really am because that Phoenix game, we let Pat start and there was already jawing, but we hate Phoenix. Let's just put that on the line. Like I said on our social, if Clippers and Phoenix play in the playoffs, everybody's getting ejected. It's going to be Luke Kennard and Jalen Green just playing, playing one-on-one because everybody's getting tossed. And I hated it. I hate what Pat did that game. I mean, he was just fishing for a fight. Um, It happened. It sets Devin, like Devin Booker was having a really bad game until Pat Bev starts talking shit. And then he gets fired up, knocks out a couple points. His flagrant foul on Chris was completely uncalled for, completely uncalled for. And I'm all for that's Pat Bev at his best, man. That's that's what he does. He literally, he can't help himself in those moments. He can't. And it's, to me, I called it uh, bullshittery, okay? Because it was completely uncalled for. You could have just wrapped him up. Chris sold it a little bit. And then what happens is and he breaks a bone in his wrist from doing shit like that, right? I would call that karma. 
but keep okay, going. I'm with that. I'm fine with that. And you know, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a big Pat Bev fan. All right. I'm a big Pat Bev fan, but it's stuff like this that cannot happen in the playoffs, especially to a team like the Suns. Um, and like I said, in the last show, I think Reggie has shown that he can be the starting point guard of this team, uh, Rondo or Reggie. I think they, I think Ty is going to try a couple different things. I think he, he let Pat start that game just because he hasn't played in a minute and he was our starting point guard for a long time. But what's your take right now um, on the Clippers? Like, where do you, do you think we're finding our group and where's Boogie? Like we have these games where we could definitely Patrick Patterson's getting a lot of play behind Zubak, but like, are we not going to, are we not going to resign Boogie? Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a real thing. The uh, Marcus is not playing and you're playing Pat Patterson. That's that's concerning for DeMarcus. And look, there's a reason that Houston let him go, right? And that Houston let him go before they let everybody go. Like, they let him go way in advance. They signed him and then let him go. Right. And so, like, I do think, unfortunately for DeMarcus, he may have, you know, kind of maxed out his body at this point. His body just may be letting him down. Uh, there's a good chance that he's never the – I mean, obviously he's not going to be the DeMarcus Cousins before all of the injuries – but there's also now a good chance that his NBA career is over. Uh, if he can't break into this lineup without with with Ibaka out, and you're you're losing minutes to Patrick Patterson, that is that is a huge red flag. Um, and look, and maybe it's situational. Maybe he's has another injury, which is you know obviously a terrible thing. And I, I would don't, I hope that's not the case. But you know, right now it's not looking good for his career. If, if he's not able to break into these games, especially with, you know, how thin you are at the center position. I think that Pat Patterson has just been playing his ass off. I mean, the little things this guy does, and I know he gets overlooked and people that are listening to the show are probably like, who the hell is Patrick Patterson? But <laughs> he's another guy on our squad, like Batum, like a Rondo, like a Terrence man, that just energy and effort, my favorite, my favorite slogan. Um, and, and Pat can knock down that three actually consistently. Um, but you're right. I'm, I'm thinking I'm seeing this more like what we did with Joaquin last year. You know, maybe we'll sign him for the rest of the year and just have him just in case. But I was more concerned that like if you can't break in to the Detroit game when, you know, we're, we're killing these cats and you can't get into this Indiana game that we could have used him at. Maybe you're right, Drew. Maybe maybe we're not going to. I mean, uh, what's it called? New Orleans didn't extend it. Right. And he played he played well for them. Um, but I think it's better to have. Uh, Boogie on your on our bench just in case but maybe you're right Drew maybe there's something going on with Boogie well I, and here's the thing like I, I do think unfortunately for DeMarcus and Isaiah Thomas there there are guys that are waiting you know on the sidelines you know the, the list is few but there are other guys that are free agents at this point that don't have their injury records that Isaiah does and that DeMarcus does um so, like, for instance, Damian Jones is a kid that was uh, picked up by the Lakers. We signed him to two 10-day contracts and we let him go uh, because we knew we were going to get Drummond and all that stuff happened. So, like, for instance, I think the Clippers would be better served to have that kid on their roster. If, if DeMarcus is just not going to play mm-hmm. and if he's not going to cut it, put put Damian Jones on your roster. I mean, the kid is, a, is, is an athlete. <laughs> and in a pinch, he is great. I mean, he started games for us in the, in the, during the 20 days that we had him. He started, I think, two or three games, and he did great for us. And I was sad to see him go, but I understand, like, that's just kind of the way that it works. We have to, you know, move stuff around, and we bring in uh, uh, Drummond, we bring in McLemore, 
And guess what? You know, the roster's full now. And who knows? Maybe we still make a play for Damian Jones later. Uh, but I think our depth is pretty solid at this point for the Lakers. Now, for the Clippers, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to have DeMarcus on your team if he can contribute. Um, and that's obviously the question that Ty Lue and the front office will you know, examine over the next whatever, how many days left he has on the, in that contract. Uh, and I'm, I'm confident in their decision-making on that as well. So if you, if they let him go, that means they saw something uh, or they noticed certain things that are not good and that you want to move on from. So I'm, I'm comfortable uh, maybe for the first time in a while to say that, you know, you guys in your front office of the Clippers know what they're doing. Um, so, you know, let that decision fall where it may. Isaiah Thomas's situation sucks. Uh, he played good for them and the Pelicans dropped him and said they don't have any intentions of resigning him at all. Uh, so who knows, maybe he'll get picked up um, by somebody who needs a guard. I mean, Charlotte could probably use Isaiah Thomas with all their injuries that they've had. Um, but who knows if he ends up, you know, getting another shot. I think it's great that he even got a shot and that he was able to score some points on an NBA floor and still looked pretty good, all, all things considered. Uh, but back to your question about the Clippers, I think this is about as positive a run as you've had this entire season, uh, even though you're still resting guys. You still have guys coming in and out and the depth and the confidence that you now have on that bench and, you know, getting Rondo. I, I do think this is, this is a really good sign for the Clippers. You know, I think the thing that that happened last year is that you took the last part of the regular season for granted and what continued to rest. I would like to see the Clippers. I mean, granted, Pat Beverly's injury is going to take a while for him to recover and who knows where Serge's back is, but if they're able to play and I'm really talking about Paul George and Kawhi specifically, get them on the floor. You need situations and you need comfortability with your stars in the game going into the playoffs. And I think that's something you didn't necessarily have last year and a bitch in the ass. And I think this year, if you're going to repeat that, it could very easily bite you in the ass again. You need Everyone to be on the floor. I don't say I'm not saying every single game, but literally, like I think you know we're we're down to like a month left in the season, especially in the last ten games. My my biggest concern is that you don't have Reggie and Kawhi and Paul George and Rondo and Zub and Ibaka and all these guys that are probably going to be key players in the playoffs meshing well enough and I think they've had good spurts but not everyone seems to have been able to play at the same time for a long time for the Clippers uh so that's I think that's my only concern but you guys are on a tear right now I don't think you're going to slow down anytime soon especially when you're you know picking off wins without having to play Kawhi without having to play Serge so it's all good stuff you just want to for me I just want to see it put together everyone on the floor at the same time and that's been tough for us this season. And back to the boogie thing and Ibaka, like Ibaka's missed a lot of games, man. And we need him. We need him to win a championship. I don't know if this is more rest and like, you know, if Ibaka comes back healthy, when he comes back healthy, like boogie will be lost on that bench. You know what I mean? Cause it, you got Zub, you got Ibaka, and then you got Pat Patterson, who's been part of the team for, for two seasons, knows the op definitely knows his role with this, with the boys. Um, so I don't know if there's going to be much room for, for, for Boogie. But again, having him is better than not having him, I guess. I don't know. Having a 6'10 guy that's been there, like, I'm all for that. Um, I, and I, he would, I, he's like the only, outside of Serge, he would be the only big that you have that can stretch the floor. 
So I do think I, it makes a lot of sense to see where Surge is at. Mm-hmm. Like if this is a, a, a completely longer term injury and he might be in and out of the lineup, even into the playoffs, lock, lock Cousins down because in a pinch, he can hit a three mm-hmm. at the very least and he can bang and, and rebound. So I think it makes sense to keep him. Also, back to what you're saying about having everybody on the floor at the same time, I'm still, I still think Ty's trying to get the other dude's confidence up. It's crazy, you know, Luke Kennard will play, you know, 30 minutes one night, he'll start one night, and then he'll get a DNP, you know, and when when Pat comes back, it kind of messes up everything that we've been, I don't, you know, and this isn't any hate on Pat at all, because we need Pat, Pat's the, the heartbeat of our team. Um, but throwing him into that starting lineup when Reggie's been playing so well and Luke's been playing really good and Terrence is getting the time that he needs. Um, you're right, though, man. I think this is a time, though, where we got to see if Luke's going to be playing and, like, what Luke's going to bring to our offense. Is it going to be, you know, 17 points and then, you know, you're taking three shots the next game? Terrence, who, Terrence who's been phenomenal, dude, phenomenal. Reggie as well. Reggie is so fun to watch. He really is. He is so herky-jerky and so nonchalant. The two different color shoes, like – but then once a game, he'll do something where I'm like, that was a dumb-ass play, Reggie. Like, what are you thinking on that? So I'm just really happy for my boys right now. I know it doesn't mean anything in the regular season. I just want us to be – we're seeing this as just as healthy as possible going into the playoffs. And back to the Jamal Murray thing, like, okay, we're playing Detroit on a back-to-back tonight. That – if you don't – if – Paul and Kawhi don't want to play this game or they have sore knees. I'm throwing out air quotes. Then that's fine. Let's let the other boys run. And we we've done that a few times this year and, and it's worked for us. So I'm all for that. And now that I think, so we're on a three game road trip. This is the second game from the three game road trip coming back from this road trip. We will have fans in the building. Um, same thing with the Lakers as well. Let's get into your Lakers really quick. Cause you're, you're extremely happy right now. They definitely have performed better than we thought that they had performed. Um, you had a huge win against the Nets, and I know you got something to say about that. So let's go. Well, this is this is the surprise of the season for me, is this run of games. If you would have told me that without LeBron and Anthony Davis and without Kuzma, Gasol, and Wes Matthews, that we would beat the Nets, uh, I, you know, I, I would have taken your money and ran away with it, and I would have lost a lot of money. But, like, specifically that game was perhaps the most impressive game of the season for the Lakers because of who we were going up against and who we didn't have on our team available to play. And offensively, goddamn, we are clicking right now. And it's, it's, I I have to tip the cap. I said it, I think I said it when LeBron went down, if Schroeder, can get us through this, this stretch and we're relatively unscathed and we don't drop to the seven, eight, nine seed that he would be an MVP candidate. And I said that jokingly. Uh, and obviously he's not an MVP candidate, but he has done that. I mean, that guy is tough. He's a tough dude. And I don't know if, if that had always translated to me in watching him in previous seasons in Atlanta and, and Oklahoma. I, I love Schroeder. Uh, not only that, but I have to commend Frank Vogel because, and, and also the players, but those first few games without LeBron was a catastrophe. And he has instilled the confidence and maybe, you know, it's just a combination of all of us are shooting well. I mean, our shooting is, is back, which it completely evaporated in the month of, of February and, and really for the majority of March wasn't there. But Frank has these players playing really solid basketball and 
you know, the thing that we always are hanging our hat on, and it's something that is unbelievably important, is our defense. You know, as, as good as our offense has been, you know, in, in stretches for these games, our defense has completely stayed the same, even though we don't have those players. Uh, I think we're number two uh, in defensive rating, which is insane. I, th- I know that we're close to the number one. We, we kind of pit, you know, pinball back and forth between one, two, and three. But to have, you know, essentially uh, a starting unit at times that is made up of mostly bench guys still bring that intensity and still guard, you know, when we're playing against all-stars and all-NBA type players, man, that's so impressive. So, you know, the Lakers went from really very difficult for me to watch <laughs> to now it's a it's a joy watching them play. And that that can't be understated as far as the impact that I think Vogel and perhaps, you know, LeBron and AD and those guys from the bench in giving the confidence to the players that are playing for us this time. And, you know, yes, we beat the Nets in an unbelievable game that was ruined uh, by the ejections of Schroeder and, and Irving, which again, going back to the conversation we had last week, didn't need to happen. Those guys did not need to get ejected. Uh, It worked out in the Lakers favor because who knows what would have happened if Kyrie uh, was still in the game and whether or not, you know, we were able to make that, that win possible, but that was very shitty. I, I did not enjoy seeing both of those guys leave the floor because it really, you know, it left us underhanded, but Kyrie was really carrying the load for, for the Nets, you know, Kevin Durant on minutes restriction, uh, clearly not up to game speed, especially in that game. He was fumbling the ball, uh, just, you know, like just, it was, it was coming out of his hands back all the time. Early drew. I do. I think, I think they, they were in, under so much pressure to bring this guy back. Why hasn't KD played in two months? And if you, I don't know if you saw today, he's not playing tonight because of a hamstring. Well, back so, to back. I think the rest the, the back to backs, I think they're going to rest him on the, on the back to back still for the rest of the season, which makes a lot of sense, but the game completely, the Nets Lakers game completely changed as soon as both of those guys left the floor and the Lakers, we just happened to be hitting that night. We were like, everybody was playing well. Uh, that was on the floor and everyone, I mean, Macklemore, I mean, what a, what a game for that guy. Second game. He could on, shoot, on the man. Team. Just, he went on a run by himself in the third quarter that essentially gave us the gap to win that, to win that game. Uh, but real quick on Kevin Durant, I haven't said this too much in in his entire career in the NBA outside of maybe his rookie year. He looks frail to me. He doesn't look as, as strong and as sturdy as he has in previous years. And, you know, when you go through an Achilles injury, uh, I'm sure that takes obviously a lot um, out of your body and out of your system. But for the first time in his career, I was watching him in that game. And and I believe that the previous game, where he just looks very easily moved where in, in, in years before and seasons before, while he still is frail and, and thin, he seems stronger for, for Durant. I would love to see him actually try to put on some weight because it's only going to help him solidify his game. Now I understand, you know, his game is being kind of a shooting guard at seven feet, seven feet tall, but having a little bit more upper body strength, is really going to help him for the rest of his career, for as long as he's going to play. Because I do think that quickness is only going to deteriorate season after season as he just, you know, ages naturally, that's going to happen. But one thing he can do to fight up against that is get a little stronger up top. 
and you be don't able think to take players off the dribble. You don't think he's and, been told that his whole life, though? Like, I don't think – I think it's too late now. No, I think he has been told that his whole life, and I think he hasn't needed it mm-hmm. until now. It's kind of like when Mike – you know, Mike was – wasn't strong enough to beat the Pistons. So he gets Grover and like hits the weight room. And I think, I think KD, and again, I don't know what KD did in the off season. I know he worked on his game, you know, KD is a gym rat and, you know, he probably was doing his, his drills for shooting and coming off the dribble and stuff, but you're right. Like maybe he didn't put a lot of time in, in the weight room. I just don't think at this point in his career, that's going to be something that's going to finally click. And you're right though. He would definitely need to do that. He is tiny. Um, Back to that that specific game, though, what I did see was like, the, and this is going to be the issue with the Nets, man, like Drummond ate Aldridge's lunch all day in that game. He had nothing to do. LaMarcus can't handle that. And he's going to, when he sees Giannis and when he sees, you know, Embiid or, or Joker or Drummond, um, there's going to be issues down there. Now, I thought Kuzma said something because Drummond has been up and down for, for, for the Lakers right now. Offensively, offensively, he's trying to find his rhythm and whatnot. And I think Kuzma and I know, you know, I'm not the biggest Kuzma guy, but he said something that that made a whole lot of sense in the postgame interview because they asked him about Drummond's struggles. And he said, look, man, like we've all played basketball our whole lives. And he's all it took me a long time to realize that playing basketball and playing winning basketball is two totally different things. Andre Drummond coming from Cleveland and Detroit wasn't, they weren't playing winning basketball and there is a full system behind how teams win championships and how to utilize each player in their right way. And Kuzma's the guy that, you know, I Kuzma has to take a step back to be his best version of himself when you're playing with these great players and a really good coach. And we're kind of seeing it click with Kuzma finally with what they need from him, you know? And once AD and LeBron are back, they're not going to need a lot from Drummond. They're just going to need Drummond to focus on those two things that he's really good at, which is rebounding and defense, right? The trash buckets are going to come. So I just thought uh, Kuzma being just cognizant of that, like playing winning basketball and basketball are two totally different things. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the culture that the Lakers have right now. Uh, and and to be to be very fair, a culture that we lost um, for a large chunk of time. I mean, those there was six seven years there where we were not playing winning basketball, and that is included in Kuzma's first year, his rookie season. We were not playing winning basketball. Uh, we were intentionally trying to lose <laughs> games. Uh, so and and. We talked about it when when the Lakers got Drummond. This is the first time in his career that he's on a good team. The first time in his NBA career that he's playing on a team that has great players, uh, great coach, and real aspirations of winning a championship. And we don't need him to score. (laughs) I think that's the first thing that I said. I don't really want this to be the Andre Drummond show, you you know, when – with LeBron. It's never worked. It's never worked. And I, I tell you what, part of the reason that I, I am very entertained by the Lakers, uh, even without our star, our superstars, is because anytime Drummond puts the ball on the floor, it's a goddamn adventure. Like, who knows what the hell is going to happen? That guy puts the ball, even if it's one dribble, I'm like, uh-oh, what, what's going to happen here? And there's, there, there's certain plays where it works out nicely, and he makes a nice little move to the basket. He makes a layup or gets fouled or something. And there's other moves where it just you know dribbles off his knee and you just went you know, 15 seconds. You just hard the whole situation. Yeah, just hands the ball to the other team. And you know, but I look the whole time what I've said that we needed is what he brings to the table. We need a legitimate seven footer 
who can bang in the post, who can rebound. And that's exactly what he's done for us. I mean, he's rebounding all over the place. And so that obviously, you know, maybe, maybe not so obviously to, to some fans, but defense ends when you rebound the ball, when you get the ball back. And for a long time, when we were losing these games and looking terrible, we weren't able to close the defensive possession with a rebound. People were able to get second and third opportunities on us, and it shored up our defense, uh, having him there being able to rebound the ball. And, yeah, look, man, offense is what it is. We did not sign – we did not bring Andre Drummond to the Lakers uh, for offense. Um, and when LeBron and Anthony Davis and everybody – when we're all healthy and back, his offensive numbers are just going to go up because he's going to get wide open shots, wide open dunks, uh, offensive rebounds and putbacks. Uh, so I, I expect all of that to kind of just be even keel. And as long as he's putting in the energy and the effort, like you, your favorite quote, as, Shout long, out as, Mark he, Jackson. as long as he's bringing that to the table for us, he will be a huge piece to hopefully a championship run for the Lakers. Are you guys in this in the seventh spot right now? Is that where it's at? We're five. You're at five. Okay. So De- Clippers. We Den- got, yeah, we got really lucky because Portland has had like a little bit of a losing streak. And so that gap between five and six for us has increased. We're like two and a half games in front of Portland. And then now the Nuggets who are in fourth without Jamal Murray, I do think there's a really good chance that the Lakers can hold fifth. And then when we get either LeBron or Anthony Davis back, uh, pop back up into that one, two, three, four seed. We're not going to make the one or the two seed in my opinion, but that three, four, I think is a realistic, uh, you know, shot for us because we've done such a good job, uh, you know, scrapping out wins, you know, despite, you know, coming off of that huge win against the Nets, we lose to the Knicks in a Julius Randle revenge game. Um, and, but we, we scraped out a win against Charlotte, you know, the next day. And so it's just that kind of really good gritty, uh, tough basketball that we're playing. And if we continue to do that, we're going to be in great shape uh, as, as the season comes to an end. Uh, LeBron, from what I hear, is about three weeks out. And Anthony Davis could be back as early as next week. Really? Uh, uh, that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want that. <laughs> I, I, you know, unless he's 150% healthy. You'll never get I, that, Drew. That's I, not coming. That's what I'm saying. I'm fine. Um, you know, I don't want him to come back, you know, too early. That's that, that's the biggest concern for me at this point. Uh, but if he is ready to go, let's get him on a, you know, 20 minutes a game. Let's get his, you know, his, his, his body back up to game shape slowly. And I obviously he'll, even in 20 minutes, he'll, he'll be a huge impactful player for us. Uh, and I'm excited for the rest of the season. Me too, man. I mean, it's coming down to the wire. These last 20, 22 games are going to be big, man. I think there can be, you know, I'm, I'm more excited for the guys that are seven, eight, nine, ten 10 right now. You know what I mean? I'm more excited to see how those guys finish out um, to finish this up. It's been a lot of bang outs this week, this past week, right? Like a lot of people are banging everywhere. Miles Bridges is just killing it right now. Right. And Dunk I think, of the year. okay. So you think so on Capella? Yes. Okay. So miles Bridges has had four of those this year, right? <laughs> like between miles and, and Anthony Edwards a couple of times. Russ even had a crazy one the other night, which was wild. I think what it's, it's the announcer that makes Miles Bridges dunks like a hundred times better. I'm putting him on my list of like people I want to meet in my life. Like I just want him as like my hype guy. I want him to do an intro for the follow through the clips and Drew show. Hum diddly D. I don't know where that comes from. Right. I love that. 
But here, let me ask you a question. You already said it. You're already going to give me your answer, though. I was going to say, would you take the Bridges dunk or the Kawhi dunk the other night? Because Kawhi's was pretty nasty, too. Kawhi's, yeah. It, it is. You, you said it, though. Like, this was like the week of the dunk. Like, this was awesome. So many highlight dunks this this week. It's so cool. I mean, that's the best part of – Paul George had a good one. Kuzma yeah. had one the other night. Yep. Uh, I mean, dude, one of the Martin twins got KCP real bad. Did he? Uh, yeah, last night, um, he I, he got him twice. I think there was actually two. Or, there was two dunks by. Oh one wait, that's was the two handed. Oh yeah, yeah that was nasty. Yeah. I mean, it, it's awesome, and that's that's part of why we love the game of basketball, right? Like dunking is probably the best thing in sports. Like when you're dunking in traffic, especially dunking on somebody, that it has to be the greatest. I've had I've had the pleasure of doing that once in my playing career, and I've never. I mean, it was it's a pinnacle that I'll never be able to reach again. You know, hopefully, you know, if I, you know, if I have some, some milestones in my life, maybe I'll reach that again, but who knows, man, there's a good chance that that's the best moment in my life. To me, Bridges dunk, really, I think the two dunks of the year, the Bridges one, and then Ant-Man had that on, uh, on the Toronto Raptors guy. Uh, Wat- Asian guy, right? Watanabe. Mm-hmm. Wana- Watanabe. I, I, I don't want to get his name wrong, mm-hmm. but I can't remember the guy's name. He doesn't play very much. Uh, he, yes, he is. I think he's Japanese. To me, Bridges' dunk on a seven-footer is always going to take precedent over a dunk on a you know ninth man on a team who's like six seven. Uh, posterizing Clint Capella, who is a great shot blocker, uh, really good rim protector, leads the league in rebounding. That's that's I mean that's 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 phenomenal. I don't think to me that's the dunk of the year, uh, and like especially because he just cocked it back. Like I mean, just like the ball almost hit his heel. <laughs> when he brought it back so far and then just yammed it on him. So, and I feel bad for Charlotte, man. I mean, we, we talked about LaMelo going out with his wrist and probably being done for the season. And then like a week later, Hayward sprains his ankle and is out for four weeks. So I feel real bad for Charlotte because they were really hitting the groove mm-hmm. and then they lose their two most important playmakers on the team. Um, and so I, I do think they're in for a tough stretch here and there's a good chance that they fall you know, in the standings and, and possibly miss out on this play in tournament, but bridges, God damn, that guy's exciting. And I, Eric Collins, I believe is the name of the announcer that you're talking about. What a great, I mean, what a, how much enjoyment he has doing his job translates. It's not fake. To him. It's not fake no, at all. Exactly. And I, you're right. I, I want more announcers like him, uh, but it, it can't be fake. That's the other side. Cause you can tell when someone's faking that, and he he's great. I think his ad libs are phenom- like phenomenal. It, it takes me back to like the Sports Center, like '90s Sports Center days, where he's just coming out with nicknames mm-hmm. left and right, where they're just you know just hum diddly dee, all the all the other. <laughs> where stuff. does that come from? That's the question I want to ask him though. Where do you get hum diddly dee from? I need to know answers. Like Ralph Lawler had bingo, Chick had his you know his go to, but hum diddly dee is the most random thing you could possibly say. And well. I. I Let's pump the bricks because you just brought up two of the greatest announcers ever. Right. In, in but they had Chick catchphrases. Hearn. They had catchphrases. Totally. Right? Not, not Eric Collins. Eric Collins is nowhere near those guys. He does a great job for highlights. Uh, but, you know, pump the bricks. Those are literally two of the greatest we've ever had in the, in the sporting world. You're right. I mean, that's who we grew up with. I'm just saying they had good catchphrases like bingo and, you know, the butter. Chick had, Chick had like 15 of them. The Chick, Jello's jiggling. Like, I get it. Mustard but, um, off the hot dog. Yes. All that, dude, all that. Uh, yo-yoing up and down. In <laughs> but, the, popcorn, the popcorn machine. 
I just want answers, uh, bro. I just want yeah. answers. That's all I want. <laughs> Where did Humdilly D come from? Hey, um, you got anything else, Drew? I do. I have one thing. Mm. I, I, I have to recognize Jason Tatum and uh, the Celtics finally seem like there might be a little bit on a roll here. They've been just really struggling this whole season. I mean, he dropped, what was it? I think it was 50, 50 points, 52 points, something like that in that game. Game winner last night too. I really, I, I really like Jason Tatum. I really like Jalen Brown as much as it pains me to say that because they're Celtics. It's so much fun when those guys are playing freely. Uh, and, and they're, I don't know, man, for the whole year, it seems like there's this weight on the Celtics uh, that's kind of been dragging them down. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's their own expectations. Maybe it's the fans. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I'm, I'm seeing that that weight start to get a little lighter for them as the season's coming to a close. I would love to see them continue to make a run. They're now in the five seed in the East. The, the NBA is better when, when the Celtics are good. And yeah, I just, I had to shout that out because that's, I mean, that's a huge performance and they're starting to turn it around and right when they fucking need to do it because right. they, they were sitting in that eight seed for a long time. And now they're, they're going up to the five. I think they can really start getting a, a run going here. Uh, and maybe they can, you know, do something in the playoffs that we didn't expect. It would definitely make Bill Simmons happy. <laughs> yeah. Bill Simmons in the entire new England area. Hey, check us out on basketballnews.com. Uh, you know, going to give you the same spiel, bunch of different podcasts, great written content over there uh, with our family of basketball news. Rex Chapman has a brand new podcast, has a great interview with Shaq. You guys should check it out. Um, episode 184 in the books, Drew, enjoy your vacation. And we'll be back next week. So follow through with Clips and Drew. We're ghosts. You know what it is. You know what it is. You know where you're.